Good afternoon, church. Today's scripture will be read from Matthew 2, 13 to 23. I encourage you all to stand on your feet as we read together the word of the Lord. On account of three. One, two, three. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth. So that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You guys may be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. I'm really, really glad and happy to see um, some faces that I haven't seen for a while. So if you haven't been to church in a while and this is your first time in a while, let me say welcome. We're so glad to have you. And to the kids, let me say welcome. We are excited to have you. I'm a bit nervous, actually, what's going to happen tonight. But why don't we give a warm welcome to the kids, right? Okay. We want to let you guys know that you guys are part of us wherever you are, sitting with your parents or sitting with your friends. Now, here's my promise, kids. I won't be long tonight, okay? If you believe it, say amen, okay? I usually preach for 15 minutes. You do not know, but I try to preach in less than 30 minutes a day because of you guys. And, you know, this is different. Usually, you listen to your Sunday school teachers, but today, you're listening to Uncle Yossi, okay? But if you don't understand anything about the sermon, don't worry, because I've spoken to your parents. Your parents will explain everything on the way home from church. Amen, parents? Okay, there's barely any amen. That's all right. Now, whenever we think about Christmas, I think the word that comes to our mind are peace, joy, gift, food, trees, what else? Bells, right? So whenever we think about, we think about Christmas, we think about something positive, something that makes us feel good. Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to my mind whenever I think about Christmas is the movie Home Alone, okay? Particularly the scene where Kevin is singing in the bathroom. You remember that one? I'm dreaming. You remember that scene? I mean, if you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor, watch it after the service, okay? Not now. That's my favorite. So whenever I think about Christmas, that's what comes to my mind. But maybe for some of you, maybe you're in a different generation, what comes to your mind is the movie Frozen, Okay? Ella, 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 no, it's not Ella, right? Elsa, not Ella, wrong name, okay? 
Elsa or Anna, okay? Some of you are a big fan of Elsa or Anna, but let me tell you, I don't like Amy. You know who's my favorite character? Olaf, right? Why? Because I think Olaf is just an amazing character with a great quotes. I mean, throughout the movie, Frozen 1 and Frozen 2, she con- he continued to throw these wonderful quotes, and my favorite one is this. An act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. <laughs> right? That is my favorite line. So whenever we think about Christmas, you know, we, we, we associate Christmas with this wonderful feeling of joy, positive feeling. But it's another side of Christmas that we really talk about. Yes, Christmas is good news. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But for some of us, Christmas actually highlights our brokenness. Isn't that true? See, for some of you, you might be divorced. Or you might come from a family who is divorced. Or for some of you, you might have this unresolved family issue. So whenever you gather for family gathering during Christmas, that issue suddenly stands out more than usual. All right? Or for some of you, you might have relational problem, financial problem, addiction problem. And there's something about Christmas where everybody celebrates, oh, this is good, this is amazing, that makes you feel lonely. Like, for example, looking at Instagram and seeing people post pictures from my family to your family, like, that kind of brings me a little sadness, if you know what I mean. Some of you get it, some of you don't, that's okay. Like, when is my turn? But if we read the story of Christmas in the Bible, we'll find out that Christmas is not only good news. Christmas also involves bad news. Because if you remember what we just read earlier, remember, there's babies being slaughtered at Christmas. That's not a good news. That's a bad news. So Christmas stories actually is a dark, dark story. But I think our, our culture has commercial Christmas in such a way that whenever we think about Christmas, we think about happy feeling. But if we look at the story of the Bible, Christmas is actually can be really dark. Because when Jesus came into the world, here's what happened. All hell breaks loose. So this is what we must get. Christmas does not mean the end of darkness. Christmas means the light has come into the darkness. Okay? And let's look at it together. I have three points, just quick. And then we're going to worship God together again. And then we're going to have fellowship together. First one, the light. Second, the fight. And the third, the reversal. Let's look at the first point, the light. Verse 13 to verse 15. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I call my son. Now let me give you the context first, right? Before we go into the bad story. If you remember what earlier happened in the story, is what happened is the wise man received a sign that a Messiah is born in Bethlehem. So this wise man came from the east and came to King Herod and said, King Herod, we believe that a new king has born in your territory. And because of that, you know what happened? King Herod got frightened, right? What, a new king? What are you talking about? And finally they found out that this new king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod said to the wise man, why don't you go to Bethlehem? Find out about this Messiah, and when you find him, tell me where he is so that I can come to worship him. Remember that story? Very famous, popular Christmas story. But you know what happened? Herod is lying. 
because Herod has no intention to worship the Messiah. Herod wants to kill Jesus. And then what happened is, and then the wise man met Jesus, and then the wise man get warned through a dream to not go back to where Herod was. So they find another way to go home. And then also an angel of the Lord come to Joseph in a dream and tell Joseph to make their way to Egypt because Herod wants to kill Jesus. Because Herod is angry. So by this time, Herod finds out that the wise man has been lying to him, and now because of that, he's angry and he wants to kill all the babies. And God in His goodness protected the baby Jesus through dreams and angels. Here's what I want you to see. When Herod wants to kill Jesus, God the Father, He's not silent. He's sovereign on His throne and He protects Jesus from Herod. Herod thinks he can lie his way into killing Jesus. And yet God protected Jesus. Nothing can frustrate God's plan, including King Herod. And then so Joseph remained in Egypt with his family until the death of Herod. But then here's what happened next. So they found out that Herod is dying, right? But before that, in verse 15, there's something interesting that's happening here. Matthew said, this was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. So apparently, the reason why Joseph had to hide in Egypt, not only because Herod cannot have power over in Egypt, not only that, but apparently it's to fulfill Old Testament prophet. See, Matthew is quoting Hosea 11, where in Hosea 11, Hosea is recalling how God delivered Israel out of the slavery of Egypt, and God called Israel, you know what? My son. So God called Israel my son. And now Matthew is quoting that prophecy and using it to point us to Jesus. Don't miss the connection. Just like God delivered the Israelites from Egypt in Exodus, the coming of Jesus is the beginning of a new Exodus for the people of God. For God will deliver his people through a greater Exodus. He will save people from their sin. So what's the point of all of this? Here's the point. By doing this, Matthew is actually teaching us how to read the Bible, okay? There are two ways to read the Bible. One, to read the Bible as a moral book of what we must do and what we must not do, okay? Maybe that's how you grew up in Sunday school for many years. So basically, the first way is this. We look at the story of King David. You guys know King David, right? You guys know King David? So we look at the story of King David and say, look at David. He had courage to fight Goliath. He had faith in his God. So here's what you need to do, kids. Be brave like David, all right? Face your Goliath. What is your Goliath? Maybe cockroaches, I don't know. Maybe mice, maybe can't sleep at night on your own, on your own bed, I don't know. What is this? What was your Goliath? Believe in God. Have courage. Be like David. But at the same time, don't sleep with anyone who's not your spouse, okay? Because that will lead you into many trouble. So be like David, but at the same time, don't be like David. So we get confused. Should I be like David or should I not be like David? That's the first way. So when we read the Bible, we simply read the Bible as a story that we must emulate. Be like Abraham. Be like Joseph. They obey God. But don't be like Adam. Don't be like Jonah. They disobey God. So basically, the Bible is about us and what we must do and how we are to live to earn God's blessing. Now, let me tell you a secret. If you read the Bible like that, it will crush you. 
Because in one, at one point, you have to be as good as them. At the same time, you cannot repeat their mistake. And you're like, how? I'm a human. It will crush you if you read the Bible like that because no one is good enough to be like the heroes in the Bible. But there's another way to read the Bible. Okay, the second way is this. Yes, David fought Goliath and won. Yes, Jonah disobeyed God and was swallowed by a big fish. Okay? And listen, if your teacher tells you that big fish is a whale, I give you permission, kids, to tell your teacher, Miss Ripka, you're wrong. Okay? <laughs> Uncle Yossi says it's not a whale. It's a big fish. So the New Testament writer teaches this. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the story that we read in the Old Testament. So when we read the story of David, it's not about David. Jesus is the true and better David. So when you read the story of Jonah, it's not about Jonah. Jesus is the true and better Jonah. And in this case, Jesus is the true and better Israel. Do you know what it means? It means that the Bible is not just a book of moral codes on how we ought to live. The Bible is one big story of salvation where Jesus is the main character. Okay, let me say this. The Bible is written for us, but it is not about us. The Bible is about Jesus. Now, can, can we say it together in count of three? Kids, I want you to say it out loud, okay? In count of three. One, two, three. The Bible is written for us, but it's not about us. The Bible is about Jesus. They have louder voice than the adult, man. Amazing, kids. Maybe we should have them every week now, right? So that means Genesis is about Jesus. The book of Psalm is about Jesus. Jonah is about Jesus. Habakkuk is about Jesus. So Genesis to Revelation is actually one story of redemption where Jesus is the main character. And we see in the Old Testament, Israel was meant to be the beacon of light to the world. But Israel failed. Israel was called God's disobedient son. But here come along Jesus, and Jesus is called God's beloved son. And where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. And that is the story of Christmas. Sin has created uncrossable gap between God and humanity. But through Christmas, Jesus came close to us and closed that gap to make salvation possible. This is the story of the Bible. Christmas means the light has come into the darkness. And the name of that light is Jesus Christ. That's the first one. Second point. I'm doing well. Verse 16. The fight. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old and un or under, according to the time that has he had ascertained from the wise men. So when Herod realized that he was tricked by the wise men, he was furious. And let me give you some background information on Herod the Great, okay? Let me tell you. Herod the Great is extremely cruel man. Let me give you couple of things that he did. When he came into power, he killed every single member of the family from the previous dynasty. Not only that, he executed his own wife because he did not trust her. Then after he killed his wife, 
he killed his own mother because he did not trust her. And then later on, he killed three of his sons because he does not want those three sons to take the throne away from him. I mean, can you see how bad this guy is? This is an extremely cruel man. In fact, there's a saying, it's safer to be Herod's pig than it is to be his own child. He's that bad. So that's why when he finds out that the wise men are not returning, Herod is furious and he orders soldiers to kill all the male child in Bethlehem who is two years old and under. Because the, the guess is Jesus is about between 6 and 20 months old at this time. And Bethlehem is a city of 1,000 people. So approximately 10 to 20 boys below the age of two are killed because of Herod. And then Matthew quotes another Old Testament passage. Okay? Matthew loved to quote Old Testament. Here's what he said in verse 17 and 18. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew is quoting Jeremiah 31. And the context of Jeremiah 31 is Jeremiah's prophesying that the Israelites will be sent into exile because of their sin. And what happened is many children will be separated from their mother. Kids, what do you do when you're separated from your parents? You cry. There will be a lot of weep, tears. It will be a time of mourning. However, Jeremiah 31 said, despite the exile, God promised at the end of Jeremiah 31 that God will establish a new covenant where God will bring the people back from exile back to Israel. So now Matthew is saying, despite the tears of Bethlehem's mother, there is hope because Jesus has escaped Herod and he will return for his people. So what does it mean for us? Here's what it means. It simply means Christmas not only brings good news, Christmas also brings bad news. The coming of Jesus not only solves problem, it also creates problem. See, when Jesus comes to earth, you see what happened? There's a fight here. There's a war. There's a battle. Remember, Herod is a king. And when the wise man came and asked, and asked him, hey, where's the next king of Israel? We want to meet him. You know what happened to Herod? He felt threatened. There's another king? Hold on a second. What do you mean there's another king? He was upset. He was angry. Because why? Because here's the reality about every single one of you. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be two, you can be five, you can be 20, you can be 50. Here's the reality about every, every, every individual in this place. We do not want anyone to tell us what to do with our life. We want to decide for ourselves. I mean, kids... Don't you just hate it when your parents tell you what to do? I mean, you can be honest with me, okay? It's okay. Okay, I won't tell your parents. Don't you just hate it when your parents keep telling you what to do? Do your homework. Stop playing games. What do you say? Five minutes. Okay. Five minutes up. Time's up. Do your homework. Five more minutes. Five more minutes up. Time's up. Do your homework. Five more minutes. What's that five more minutes? Let me tell you what that is you don't like your parents telling what you to do. And not just you, every single one of us, there's this desire. Whenever people tell us what to do, here's what something, there's a whisper in our heart saying this. 
Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to tell me to stop playing games and do my homework? Because there's a voice in our heart said, you know what? I am the king of my life. I have the right to decide what I want to do with my life. But when Jesus comes into the scene, Jesus said, hold on a second, I am the king. There's only one king. I am the king, I am the Messiah, and I have the right over your life. And when we hear Jesus says that, that he is king, there's a whisper in our heart, no, no one tell me what to do. It might be a whisper, but it's dead deep inside our heart. Because when Jesus comes into our life, there's always a fight. Because Jesus not only comes as a savior, but also a king. Christianity is not a waltz. It is a fight. Now let me give you just two ways, because I don't have much time, just two ways how we experience this fight in our daily life. One for the nominal Christian and the other for devoted Christian. First, for the nominal Christian. When you consider the claim of Christianity, you only have two possible reactions. You either bow the knee or you run away. You either love Jesus or you're angry at Jesus. There's no middle zone. Now, do you know what I mean by middle zone? So if you respond to Jesus' claim as a king, is you know what? I believe in Jesus. You know, I still come to church every now and then, especially on Christmas and Easter. I still call myself a Christian. And yet at the same time you refuse to surrender all of your life to Jesus, here's what I want you to consider. That position, that gray area lacks integrity. Because Jesus say he's king. So that means he's either your king or you're his enemy. There's no middle area. There's no gray zone. So if you are in a position right now where you say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I go to church every now and then. If that's your position, if you're in the middle, I do want to encourage you to read the gospel and discover the claim of Jesus for yourself. Because Jesus will tell you, you are either completely for him or violently against him. But the second one, I want to talk to the devoted Christian, those who came to church every single week. Here's what the message of Christmas tells us. We need to take into consideration that this internal fight we have against God will continue as long as we are living in the sinful world. Now, I know, I know, I know, when we talk about Christmas, we talk about the message of peace between us and God, right? So there's no more hostility that God has come and make peace for us, and that is true. But it does not mean that we are free from this internal fight inside of us. Until we meet Jesus face to face, we will still have heart that is, has residual hostility to God. And we need to take that into consideration. Because think about it. Why do you find it so hard to pray and so easy to watch Korean drama? Why do you find it so easy to forget God, but so easy to remember what your boyfriend or girlfriend did that hurt you? Why do you think we still struggle with sin? Let me tell you why. Because there's a little King Herod inside of us, which tells us that none of us, doesn't matter how long you've been Christian, none of us can glide through Christianity. 
we must be very intentional about Christian growth because the moment, the moment we go into autopilot mode is the moment we begin to drift away. Because there's a pull in our heart that continues to want to take us further away from Jesus and there is no such thing as standing still. The moment you are standing still, you are pushed by the drift of this world toward destruction, which tells us we must be very intentional in fighting to make Jesus the king of our life. There's a fight that we can't escape. But here's the good news, the third point, the reversal. Verse 19 to 22. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So after Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph again. And the angel told Joseph that Herod has died and he can come back to Israel. But on the way back to Israel, Joseph is actually planning to take his family back to Bethlehem. But on the way back, he heard that Archelaus is now in charge of Judea. And Archelaus is as cruel as Herod the Great. So now Joseph is afraid to go back to Bethlehem, which is in the region of Judea. So God warned him through a dream not go back to Bethlehem. So Joseph decided to stay in the region of Galilee in a city called Nazareth. Now, here's what we know about Nazareth before Jesus. Nothing. Because Nazareth is a very small town in the middle of nowhere. And scholars believe the town only has a population of about 500 people. So it's a small town in, with small population in the middle of nowhere. Okay? But look at what happened. Okay, this is my last verse. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. There's a problem with this verse. Let me tell you what's the problem. Matthew said the prophets, uh, that what the prophets said might be fulfilled, that he will be called a Nazarene. But when you look at the Old Testament Scripture, there's no prophecy that mentions Nazareth or that Jesus will be called a Nazarene. And what happened? Is Matthew lying to us? I don't think so. Think about it. The city of Nazareth is known as a place for the lowly and despised. If you remember one of the stories, when Nathanael, one of Jesus' disciples, found out that Jesus came from Nazareth, you know what he say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth is at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale. So everyone in Judea looked down on people from Galilee, and everyone in Galilee looked down on people from Nazareth. And that's why Joseph wanted to take his kids and his family to Bethlehem in the first place. Because Bethlehem is a prestigious city in Judea. But the Old Testament tells us that when the Messiah showed up, he will be despised and rejected by many. And Nazareth happened to be the most unknown and the most backwater place at that moment. So to call someone a Nazarene is actually a mockery. Jesus will be called Jesus of Nazareth, and that is not a good thing. A Nazarene, a mockery. So if you want to mock someone from this way forward, you can call them, you are a Nazarene. Now what does that mean for us? 
Here's what it means. And I land the plane. This verse tells us how God works. Every society has a pecking order. In our world, status and reputation are everything, right? And in our days, you know how we measure our status? We measure people's status by what they wear, the kind of car they drive, where they're from, you know, what kind, the kind of house they live, and which area they live. But in ancient time, status is often measured by where you're from and your family heritage. So if you grew up in a privileged city and you are from a prestigious family, then you are somebody. You are a Judean. But if you are from a place that no one has ever heard, and you are from a family with no prestigious last name, then you are nobody. You are a Nazarene. Now, isn't that true for us? Let me give you an example. Whenever I travel um, in Indonesia, I like to introduce myself. I'm Yossi, and I am from Sydney. Okay, why? Because it's carried a different weight from saying, for example, I'm Yossi, and I'm from Wagga Wagga. People will be like, Wagga Wagga? Where is that? I never heard of it. Can anything good come out of Wagga Wagga? But, you know, if by chance any one of you come here from Wagga Wagga, no offense, Jesus love you. It's actually the name of a place in New South Wales. I check it out, Wagga Wagga. Exactly, Wagga Wagga. Can anything good come out of Wagga Wagga? But the, so here's the, the point. The privilege always look down on the underprivileged. Because that's the way the world operates. But God does not operate like that. So from the very beginning of Jesus' birth, God is saying, listen, I don't do things the way the world thinks it should be done. Because my way is different from the world. I will not let my son be called Jesus of Bethlehem. Instead, he will be called Jesus of Nazareth. Because God is showing to us that his way is opposite to the world. Let me prove it to you. Two ways that we see happening again and again throughout the Old Testament. Old Testament. In the ancient times, the oldest son always got everything. Okay? So if you're the oldest son, basically you get the land, you get the family last name, you get the birthright, you get the money, you get the power. And if you're the youngest son, you practically get nothing. And that's not only happened in the old days. You know, I watch Korean drama, uh, sorry, Reborn Rich, and they use the exact same concept. The firstborn receive everything. But you know what, what we see again and again in the Bible? Instead of Ishmael, God chose Isaac. Instead of Esau, God chose Jacob. So again and again, we see throughout the Bible that God always favor whom the world does not favor. Instead of the older brothers, God chose David which is a radical story we're going to talk about next week. And not only that, but in the culture in which women who could not have children were disgraced, God could have brought Jesus through any woman he chose. But instead, he chose Leah, not Rachel. He chose Rebecca, who can't bear children. He chose Hannah, who can't have children. And then he chose a virgin teenager by the name of Mary to be the mother of Jesus. Again and again, God is saying, I will choose Nazareth, not Judea. Why? Not because God favored the underdogs. 
is God's way of showing that His way is always counterintuitive and upside down from the way the world thinks it should work. Jesus comes from Nazareth because the salvation He brings is completely the opposite of what the world will think. Here's my point. Every religion on this world says salvation is for the strong. Salvation is for those who can pull themselves together. So they say this. There's a standard you must meet, and if you meet that standard, if you're good enough, if you're capable enough, then you might be saved. But Christianity come along and said this. There's a standard that you must meet, and that standard is perfection. And the bad news is not a single person can meet that standard. All of us fall short of that standard. And then Jesus come and said, you will never be able to fulfill that standard. I came to fulfill that standard on your behalf. I came to save you so that you no longer have to go up to God. I am God who came down to find you. You cannot save yourself. You can only be saved by grace and grace alone. See, Christianity is the only religion that requires us to be weak to be safe. Because Jesus did not come for those who are strong. Jesus came for those who admit that they are weak and helpless. Salvation is by grace alone. This is why Jesus we call Jesus of Nazareth. He is a Nazarene. Jesus became a Nazarene. He became a nobody so that nobody like you and me can become somebody before God. That is the message of Christmas. So let me close. If we understand this, then it changed the way we see Christianity, isn't it? Because it does not matter who you are. It does not matter where you're from. It does not matter what dark secret you had in your past. I mean, it does not matter what shameful things you have done. Because the world might say that you are a failure. But the gospel says it does not disqualify you from receiving salvation and being used by God. Because God is specialized in using nobody rather than somebody. There's hope for anyone. And that is the reason Jesus is called a Nazarene. So if you have to put your faith in Jesus and you feel like, you know, I don't think I'm good enough, yours. I, you don't know what I've done. You don't realize how bad my past was. Where's the thing? Isn't that the point of Christmas? No one is good enough. No one is worthy enough. That's why Jesus was born. And Christmas tells us that no one is good enough to come up to God. And that's why God decided to come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life that we could not. He died the death we deserve so that when we put our faith in Him, what we receive is not condemnation, but eternal life. This is the good news of Christmas. Five more seconds and I'm done. Clear. Mission accomplished. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we have a God who did not wait, who did not wait for us to be good enough to come to Him. But we have a God who realized, who acknowledged our weaknesses, who acknowledged our inability. And yet, in your grace, in your kindness, you came down to us. You humble yourself. You take on the form of man. And you live the perfect life that we could not and die the death that we deserve 
so that when we put our faith in you, we become a whole new creation. We are accepted. We are holy. We are righteous. We are blameless, not because we are, but because of what Jesus has done for us. So if there's any of us in this place tonight, Lord, that we have yet to put our faith in you, I pray that tonight, Holy Spirit, that you continue to tickle our heart, to continue to pursue our heart, so that we may see that we desperately need you to save us. And for my friends in this place, Lord, who maybe we're Christian, and yet at the same time we have yet to give our life fully to Jesus, I pray that this Christmas, this Christmas, in response to what you have done for us, that we may humbly come to you and surrender our life before your faith. And for the Christian in this place, Lord, I pray that we continue to remind ourselves, Lord, that the message of Christmas means that there's a war happening inside of us. And I pray that we will never get tired, but we continue to look to Jesus and what Jesus has done so that we continue to fight the battle faithfully until the day we see you face to face. Help us, Lord. In our weaknesses, your strength is made for pack. And we ask this in the name of beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.